You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back with another episode here of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. And we are back with another midweek episode, Ravens football, less than one day away than what it was yesterday. And I think that's, it's just so nice to see football coming back. Obviously, the Chiefs and the Texans will start off the season tomorrow. I will obviously be watching, and I'm sure my guest here today will as well. We have a very special guest today, a new person coming on the show, and that is Cole Jackson from Russell Street Report. Cole, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Kevin. It's, uh, it feels like it's almost Christmas Eve. With uh, It's got the lead up uh, the week before, the week of the 20th, and I just can't wait to get some football going. All the fantasy football drafts are ending, and it's time to gear up and get ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have 10 locked on Ravens fantasy leagues this year, and it's a lot, <laughs> a lot of leagues, but, you know, just getting any and every kind of ounce of football I can, I feel like that's kind of needed for everybody. But the Ravens... Obviously, Cole expected to do big things in 2020. There's no secret that they have a target on their back now. They've proven that their offense is lethal. Their defense is coming in with a bunch of new additions, such as Clayus Campbell, Derek Wolf. Their, their front seven looks much improved. But, Cole, what I wanted to focus on with you today, and I know you have a bunch of information on this as well, is the Ravens' offensive line, particularly the interior offensive line. You know, we we know Ronnie Stanley in Orlando Brown Jr., two guys who are going to be pretty good for the Ravens in 2020. But after Marshall Yamna's retirement, Matt Skura's health is a big question mark. We'll talk about that in a second. The Ravens' interior offensive line, you know, might not be as sturdy as maybe it once was. And obviously it could be, but there's a lot of unknown right now. And so I wanted to start off with Matt Skura's health. There was a lot of speculation that Matt Skura might start the year on injured reserve. And with the new injured reserve rules, he would only be out for a minimum of three weeks Cole, what have you heard about Matt Skura, where he is health-wise, and what do you ultimately think Matt Skura's game day decision for Baltimore will be come week one? Well, I think it's a really interesting uh, thing to take a look at because uh, with camp being a little bit shorter this year, we had not the normal media availability. We also didn't have the same sort of uh, fan presence at camp to kind of get a look at these guys. And we, of course, didn't have preseason games, which... If he's not suiting up for any of the preseason games, uh, that's giving you a pretty good indication. But one thing we did see the Ravens doing is having him take first team reps. So started, you know, poking around, asking around. And it, so there was a lot of speculation that he would still uh, start the season either on the bench or on the injured reserve. Now, I expected the injured reserve, but we're a couple days past the cutdowns and he still has not been IR'd. And the, I would have expected the Ravens to do it right away so that they could then get that roster spot and bring up someone, uh, someone like Nigel Warrior or uh, even another offensive lineman. But given that that hasn't happened, um, it's it's a huge decision going into week one, whether he's going to be the starter or he might just be one of your inactives as they, they look to get him ready. Uh, some of the things I've seen is he definitely... It uh, doesn't look like he has the same conditioning level. And that's, I don't think people realize how bad this injury is. Like we're talking about a completely shredded knee. And not only 
are you coming back from that and dealing with some of the mobility issues that come with it, but your conditioning is off. You didn't have an off season like you normally do. Um, we've seen those awesome social media videos of his recovery and how he's been weightlifting, but you know, that's a significant injury to come back from. So I have concerns with him going into week one as the starter, just because he may not be up to his hundred percent or whatever his new 100% is. Yeah, and I also think it's a matter of him feeling comfortable. You don't want to just throw Matt Scarra back into the fold after having, you know, a limited, you mentioned the shortened offseason, no preseason to get prepared, no preseason to kind of get back into the swing of things. It would be just throwing him right in, in week one, against the decently good Browns front. So I, I agree, Cole. I think that, you know, with Scarra, it's going to be interesting to see how the Ravens handle it, but they do have some nice depth on the interior that they could use to, I guess, soften the blow of maybe Matt Scora missing a few weeks or not being his full self. And two of those guys are Patrick McCarry and Bradley Bozeman. Two guys, you know, the two guys who ended the season at the left guard and the center position. Bozeman obviously spent his time at left guard while McCarry played center. And I wanted to ask you, Cole, how impressed were you with these two guys last year? And what did you see from them? So I'll start with Patrick McCarry, um, converted tackle out of Cal. And uh, he, in high school, did play center, but at Cal, he was mostly a tackle. So I think when we saw him start working at center, it was a little bit of a surprise. And it made sense, though. His biggest limitation uh, as an offensive tackle was his lack of length. So obviously, of course, when you move inside, um, you, you don't you don't have to worry about uh, some of those some of those edge defenders you can get in inside guys. And I've always compared his hand usage to a boxer that's getting outreached by another boxer and, you know, they get inside and they work inside. So it's the same concept on the offensive line. Obviously they're not throwing punches, um, but similar concept. So I really liked Makari's game. Uh, he had phenomenal range. He uh, would get out in those ACE combo blocks and move into level two, uh, where I thought he had some concerns were his lower body strength and drive blocking. So that makes a lot of sense, too, when you think about some of the bigger noses that he'll be dealing with, especially in the AFC North. I was pretty happy with Makari, I think, as an undrafted free agent playing his first season since high school at center. Like, you couldn't be more impressed with with that aspect of it when you take the context into mind. He got exposed a little bit in the Tennessee game, and he had a really hard time with some of their bigger defensive tackles. And But the, the thing to remember is he now has a whole offseason to to go into it thinking, okay, I'm, a, I'm an interior lineman now. I'm going to prepare my body for that type of play. And I think it's a completely different approach. That said, I still think he makes a little bit more sense as a guard due to his range and his mobility, um, as well as his pass blocking, because he has that quicker kick step and post step. And then on the flip side, when you look at Bradley Bozeman, um, I'm I'm well known around the Ravens block as being a little bit more harsh on him. And it's not that I don't think he played well. I think he played very, very well um, in, in the context. But what I see from Bozeman is there's limitations that I just don't think he's going to be able to develop. And so I see his ceiling being a little bit lower than others as a guard. And that is because he doesn't have that range. So specifically, if you want to look at outside zone blocks, uh, when he's on the back side, typical outside zone steps are you would take a 90 degree uh, play side step, and then you would take a 45 degree. And what you'll see from 
skirt or from Bozeman, if you zoom in on him, he shuffles and he shuffles because he does not have the athleticism. So all he's trying to do is shuffle and get out of that guy's way. Um, so I think that's the reason you saw more outside zone runs to the right side and not the left side. And I think that does a disservice to Ronnie Stanley because he's so good in space blocking. So what I've seen is he's a better fit as a center, in my opinion. And that's because he's doing more down blocking. He's trying to clear guys off the line. And those are his strengths. And that is what he did show as a left guard. When he was asked to clear guys off the line, he did very well. Yeah, and you know, Bozeman came out of Alabama as a center. So you you would like to think that he could maybe thrive in this Ravens system as a center. But you mentioned that maybe switch over for Bozeman. And I, I want to know, Cole, do you think that the best outcome for this Ravens offensive line, if there is no Skura, is flipping the two? So putting Patrick McCarry at left guard and Bradley Bozeman at center? I absolutely do. And I think it plays to both of their strengths. And that's not I, a lot of people will look at that and say that I'm criticizing Bozeman. It I always look from a coaching perspective. It's we have to put players in their best position to succeed. So if I see Bozeman, who's more of a power guy, and I see Makari, who's got a little bit more finesse to his game, well, a left guard asks for a little bit more finesse, especially with the amount of times we run power to the right side and that left guard is pulling. It's better to have someone that can get there a little bit quicker. Um, and then in those exact same plays, we need a center that can drive block guys right off the line. And that's Bozeman's strength. So I, I did hear at, at uh, the last week of training camp, they were going with a line of Makari at left guard, Bozeman at center. But I, I've also heard that they've flipped them again. So it looks like the Ravens, too, were trying to get a look of it. Um, but I think, and I think this is especially important because even if Matt Skura plays this year, his contract status, he may not be back next year with some of the guys we have to pay because he, he is a solid starting center. And if teams see that he's recovered and can get back to a hundred percent, they'll give him a good size contract to be their starter. And we just might not be able to do the cap dollars. Um, so this is something that we need to think about going into next year as well. And so, I see it. It's like, let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's put Bozeman at center and put Makari at left guard and see if it looks any different. Yeah, and you make a really good point there with just how many guys this Ravens team is going to have to pay. We're just now seeing, you know, with Matthew Judon being the first domino to fall. Then you have Ronnie Stanley and Marlon Humphrey. Later down the road, it's Lamar Jackson. It's, it's Hollywood Brown. It's Mark Andrews. There are so many guys that the Ravens have to pay. There will have to be one or two sacrifices. So I think you make really good points there, Cole. But we're going to head into our first break here. And when we get back, we're going to be talking about a Ravens draft pick who could fill in at the right guard position. So stay tuned for that. And we'll be right back. But before we do that, this season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. 
We are back here with our second segment of this Wednesday edition of Locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostrick, your host, still here with Cole Jackson. And Cole, we just got into a few guys who were big contributors on the Ravens line in 2019. But now moving into 2020, there are some new guys on this roster who are going to, I think, have big roles. And not only for the offensive line, obviously, across the entire roster, but since we're sticking with the offensive line, the Ravens do have a hole at the right guard position with Marshall Gowner's retirement. They've been plugging in guys during training camp. We've heard DJ Fluker's name. We've heard Ben Powers' name. But a guy who I think gets a little less attention than those guys is the Ravens' third-round pick, Tyree Phillips. Now, Phillips is a guy who I don't think a lot of people knew about. He, he was on Last Chance U and had a pretty good college career. Now, he played primarily tackle. Cole, I wanted to ask you about just what you thought of this pick one for Baltimore, if you thought maybe they took him a bit too early, if he was a nice value pick, and also... What did his tape show in college in terms of his strengths and his weaknesses? Yeah, so I, I they definitely went off the board. Um, I don't think many people had a third-round grade on Tyree Phillips. And to be completely honest, I didn't notice him until the Senior Bowl. And that's when I kind of got into his tape. But I didn't even get into it that much where I had a scouting report written on him. So once the Ravens made the pick, and it was almost one of, it was one of the last picks of the third round. So it was on that Friday night or Saturday night. So I ended up staying up till 2, 3 a.m. watching some film on him. And I came away being like, he's just one of those classic guys that just goes unnoticed, probably because he doesn't play at a, at a like he's in a power five school, but he's in Mississippi State's not, you know, a powerhouse in college football. Um, so I think he did go completely under the radar. And once you get into his tape, it is, uh, he's a fascinating player. I focused mostly on the LSU game, and the reason I did that was because I wanted to see him play left tackle against Clavon Chazon, uh, who went first round to the Jacksonville Jaguars as an edge rusher. And so what I noticed, LSU did some really interesting things where they would drop their outside linebackers, Chazon being one of them, into coverage and use some of their base DNs that were more interior linemen like Richard Lawrence. So I got to get two interesting looks at Tyree Phillips at left tackle against Chazon, who's more of a speed rusher, and then Richard Lawrence, who's a bigger, powerful, likely interior defensive lineman. And the reason I like this game as, a, as, as something to break down is because those are the guys he's going to see on the inside in the NFL. So you can kind of look at some of his techniques and see how they'll project to his move into guard. Um, so the big thing, I'll start with the weaknesses on on Phillips. And I don't like to say athleticism because there are so many components of athleticism. So one of the weaknesses I saw was his foot speed, but in pass protection. So against Shazdon, for example, if he set vertically and he kick step back right away, he was able to use his length to completely stifle Shazon. Like he kept him out of the game, but if he didn't vertical set and he kind of let Shazon close on him a little earlier and he couldn't get his hands on him, that's where he lost. So you can kind of take that in a vacuum and say on the inside, he's not going to have to worry about these speedier guys and he can really use his length because I mean, he's got 35 inch arms. He's six foot five. He's 340 pounds. Like he's a mammoth of a man. And, uh, I think you could see that when you'd see his snaps against Richard Lawrence, who didn't have that speed aspect, Every time Phillips got his hands on him, the it was over for him. Um, but then when we're looking at some of the strengths, 
So obviously I mentioned his his sheer size, his length, but also his hand placement, which I thought was really well done. Um, you can tell he's coached to be a like his coach is going, you're a slower player. You're going to win with your length. You're going to win with getting your hands on guys and using your strength. So with uh, with his mobility or his athleticism, one thing I did notice, they Mississippi State team out of the pistol formation would run some traps through their right side of their line. And normally you'd pull the left guard or a tight end, but they were actually pulling Phillips. So it was interesting to see him pulling and kind of get an idea of what he can look like in a, in a, a using some of that mobility. And not only was he quicker in those run blocking reps, but he had really nice fluidity through his hips when he'd engage coming through the line. So I, I thought he was actually a plus athlete um, in the run game, maybe not in his pass blocking, but like I said, moving him inside, he's got, He's got enough mobility. I, I really don't have any concerns about it and what the Ravens are going to ask him to do. Um, if I did put a player comparison on him, and I'm, I'm saying this is his ceiling, not who he is right now, but I see a young Coleccio Semele type player, and he can very well hit that type of ceiling. If the Ravens were able to get that in the third round, young Coleccio Semele, what a coup that would be for <laughs> Eric DaCosta. I mean, again, just everything he's done. Is a, it is an executive for this Ravens team? Even before his, you know, sole ownership of the general manager position, he's been somebody who is not shy to take somebody a little off the board, as you said. You know, again, a lot of guys probably didn't know who Tyree Phillips was or didn't have a big, big, huge idea of just what his game brought. But it seems like the Ravens might have found a gem at the end of that third round. But I wanted to get a little more into how Phillips actually fits into the Ravens scheme and and the Ravens offensive scheme. Obviously you got some zone runs and and a lot of other things that make this offense unique and sometimes complicated. Cole, what do you think Phillips's fit is on this Ravens offensive line? And do you think he'll be able to pick up the offense quickly with the shortened off season? So I've been saying since he was drafted, he's a nice fit at left guard and that's kind of sticking with that Kalecho assembly um, uh, comparison. But with Marshall Yonda being gone, they need someone to to do his role. So one of the things they did in their scheme last year was they ran power runs to the right. And what the power run calls for is a deuce block on the interior defensive tackle. And that's really where you're going to have, or you would have Yonda and Brown doubling down on a guy and then the left guard pulling in behind. So originally I was speculated that some of that mobility that I was mentioning would be a nice fit because you'd have a 6'5", 340 guy pulling um, with Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins running behind him. But we've seen uh, when Fluker went down with a little bit of an injury in camp, we actually saw Phillips step in as the right guard. And that looks like how they're going to use him. And I, I think it makes sense. I mean, he's he's got... I see him as a pretty versatile player with um, some of his mobility as a guard. So I think it makes sense to put him at right guard and ask him to do some of the things we asked Yonda to do. Now, let's keep in mind, Marshall Yonda is Hall of Famer, perennial All-Pro, one of the best ever do it as a guard. He's not going to be Marshall Yonda right away. But some of his traits in terms of using that power, using that length to drive guys off the line, that's what Yonda did so well. And we now have two 6'5 guys beside it. Well, I think Orlando Brown's 6'7", but they both have 35-inch arms. So that's what your right side could look like. You have two mammoths that you can do a ton of things behind. And one thing that I would look out for, um, 
and many people might not see this coming because they do have that label of being a little bit on the not athletic side. But if you ran some outside zone to the right side, it's it's their use of length that they can really capitalize on. And you can try and get some some combo blocks and get Orlando Brown out on a DB. If you go back and watch that New England game last year, they they did that about two or three times and Brown was just getting mismatches and I mean, no DBs can, can take him on. So I think there's a lot of interesting things they can do with him beside Orlando Brown. And I think he can also help Orlando Brown with the, with the pass game, the way Yonda used to. Um, they, and as much as Orlando Brown has progressed, Yonda still gave him some help here and there. So I think Phillips is going to be able to take on that role. Now, how's he going to learn the playbook? That is an interesting question. Um, I recently came across a 2014 playbook that was Greg Romans in San Francisco. And they run a versatile scheme. So these guys have to know a lot um, in terms of the plays. But when you go through that thing and you look at some of the line calls, these offensive linemen are taking in a lot of information. So it's really going to speak when you're looking at the Fluker versus Phillips debate for right guard. It could come down to who picked up that that playbook and knows their responsibilities quicker. Yeah, and I think with this also, the Ravens obviously with their cut down day, they value that experience. And it seems like, you know, according to everything I've heard, Phillips kind of has the inside track right now. They do, I think, want to use Fluker as that swing tackle because they really just do not have any depth for guys who can go in and just play a tackle position. If Ronnie Stanley or Orlando Brown goes down, that was James Hurst. And James Hurst obviously suspended for the first four games, no longer in a Ravens uniform anymore. But, you know, if Phillips struggles to pick up the calls, to pick up the playbook, they might be forced to say, all right, DJ Fluker, you're a veteran. You know how to pick up on these calls, even though it's your first year in Ravens uniform. That just might be the, the the final blow to Phillips. But I think Phillips is an interesting guy to pencil into this right guard role. You made a lot of good points, Cole. And based off his tape, based off what I've seen from him and heard from everybody about Phillips in camp, I think he could honestly surprise a lot of people, especially in week one, when people might not be expecting a huge performance because, you know, rookies, no preseason, just getting thrown into the fire. Phillips could surprise some people. But Cole, that's all that I have for you today here. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you on social media and writing and everything else? So, yeah, you can find my writing at Russell Street Report. Um, I'll be doing some film articles as well as the game day grades. And you can find me on social media, Twitter, at Cole Jackson RSR. And I'm always open for uh, debating my points. So if you heard something you didn't like, let's talk about it. Just send me a tweet. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Cole. When we get back here on Lockdown Ravens for our final segment, we'll be getting into some schedule predictions and more. So stay tuned for that and we'll be right back. But before we do that, Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar is even more delicious. They have six new flavors including caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. They're healthy. They're great for the health conscious person you can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. They're low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and high fiber. So be sure to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off of your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. 
Um, also, we've been talking about it here a lot on Locked On Ravens from September 9th to the 26th. Join the Maryland SPCA for the virtual festival for the animals, a classic walkathon to support homeless pets. Join a community of pet lovers, including Ravens General Manager Eric DaCosta, and take 3,000 steps a day by walking, running, or playing with your pet. Every mile completed will unlock $100 in donations to the Maryland SPCA. If they reach their goal of 650 miles, they'll unlock a total of $65,000. The Maryland SPCA supported animals in Baltimore for 150 years. You can help them provide life-saving health care, pet food assistance so people can keep their dogs and cats, and adoption services for homeless pets. Visit festivalfortheanimals.org to take a step and support a pet. And we are back with our final segment of this Locked on Ravens episode. Your host, Kevin Oshaker, is still here with you. It was great talking to Cole and just his thoughts on the Ravens' offensive line. But now we're going to move into our third segment. And shocked is not the right word that nobody had any questions for our mailbag today. But, you know, it, it, we moved it to a new day, so I kind of expected a little bit of layover and so, some, I guess, lag on the questions. But hopefully next week after the Ravens Week 1 game against the Browns, there will be many more questions. So I'll put those tweets out on Monday. But we actually have some content because we don't have the Ravens mailbag here today. I talked to Tony Wiggins, the host of Locked On Jaguars and now one of the new hosts of the Locked On NFL podcast, and we took a look at the AFC North. We talked about the Ravens, him and I did, and the other hosts talked about their teams, but I wanted to play the snippet here on this show just to have everybody hear what I had to say, and then after that, it's only a five-minute segment, so after that, I want to quickly, quickly get into my final record prediction for the Baltimore Ravens in 2020. So with all that being said, let's jump into what Tony and I had to say about the Ravens. We're going to Baltimore, man, and talk to my boy, O Striker. What up, Kev? Hey, how you doing? It's, it's great to have football back. We're so close, and I'm so excited. I know you are, man. I can hear it in your voice, man. Excited to be messing around with me with these computers today, too, man. I'm telling you, it's always something with me and these computers, man. What's going on with, uh, first of all, Earl Thomas. Earl, Earl's out of town. Uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit. What's the mood of the team, and how does it look heading into the season? Well, the Ravens are looking good. You know, you mentioned Earl Thomas. It was honestly a situation that kind, kind of reached its boiling point. You, you have a guy who, honestly, according to most reports and sources, it was kind of a panic move by Eric DaCosta and something you don't really see out of him. He's done a phenomenal job ever since taking over for Ozzie Newsome. But really, this all happened when the Browns signed Odo Beckham. You know, we can talk about Odo Beckham another time. But you look at it, the Ravens wanted somebody who they could combat Odell Beckham with, combat the Browns offense with, because when that move was made, everybody was like, oh, the Browns won the Super Bowl. The Browns did this, the Browns did that. Well, the Ravens went out and made that move. Earl Thomas was skipping meetings, was going to get his car washed during team time and punching teammates in practice and really didn't buy into the system. The Ravens have a really young safety by the name of Deshaun Elliott. Who, who absolutely has turned it on. And the issue with Elliott's his health. He's only played in six games over his first two years in the league. But, you know, there's, there's no denying the fact that Earl Thomas is a huge loss on defense. But with the Ravens adding Calais Campbell, they added Derek Wolf, they added Patrick Queen, their first-round pick, their front seven looks much improved because they don't want that Derrick Henry train running through Baltimore again. That, that was a disaster. The, the playoff game against Tennessee was a disaster. But, but the spirit of the team right now is high. They, they know they have the MVP in Lamar Jackson. They know this offense is deadly. They added J.K. Dobbins, so that makes Devin Duvernay, James Prochet. It's not only, it's not only the, the offense that's going to be doing a good job, though. The defense is going to pick up this team, too, sometimes. When the offense struggles to score at points, because with every team, there is that. 
But the defense has guys now like Campbell. The secondary still has Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. Tavon Young, the best slot cornerback in the league, in my opinion, or at least one of them, is coming back. So the Ravens are geared up for a prime Super Bowl run this year. And honestly, I see multiple scenarios in the playoffs where Baltimore makes it to the big game. Yeah, me too. And the thing about it is, as we talked to Kevin Ostriker from Lockdown Ravens, the covers of Baltimore, uh, the thing is, man, is one, I'm never concerned about the culture in Baltimore because they're, they're known ever since Ozzie and now you mentioned DaCosta's taken over. They're known for having a great culture. But we're going to bury the lead here. They're talking about Lamar Jackson and decreasing those designed runs. Does that mean, in your opinion, he won't be as dynamic this year? And what does that mean moving forward? Are, are we now going to see a, a more improved Lamar in terms of sitting in the pocket? Or do you think that'll make him a bigger target? Or is it just the designed runs won't be as much and he'll still be running around just like he used to? I think the Ravens want to spread out this offense a bit more. They have the playmakers to do so. And Lamar Jackson was one of the best pocket passers in the league last season. I don't think he gets enough credit, you know, for what he, he's done as a passer over his first few years in the league. But the Ravens definitely do want to get rid of the design, not get rid of the design runs, but kind of take them down a notch because they know how good of a passer Lamar Jackson is. Part of the things that Lamar Jackson or a few of the things Lamar Jackson had to improve upon during the offseason he identified the deep ball is one of them and also throwing outside the hashes but again a lot of hard work from Jackson in the offseason his teammate his really best friend on the team Hollywood Brown as well Hollywood Brown was only playing at around 70 percent last season maybe even a bit less because he had a screw in his foot and missed two games because of another leg injury and he's come back put on a ton of muscle I expect him to be in the consideration for an a thousand yard year and the Ravens they want to make sure that this offense is still as dynamic as possible. You kind of mentioned, well, will the offense be less dynamic? I think we'll see a bit more passing from this Ravens offense because they now have the weapons to do so. Lamar Jackson was working with pretty much Hollywood Brown last year, right? They had Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst obviously come and contribute as well. But this year they expect a big second year jump from Miles Boykin. They have Duvernay and Prochet, as I mentioned, Willie Snead is in there as well. So I think that Baltimore is actually, you know, they're going to move more towards a passing offense. But that in no way means that Lamar Jackson isn't going to run the football anymore because that's a part of his game. It's what makes him so good, along with the passing that, again, I don't think people give him enough credit for. Oh, there you go, Kevin O'Striker. Look, one thing, the things that Baltimore's known for, defense, they're known for defense. They're known to have pass rushes. They're going to have pass rushes. Tight ends, it seems like they got 35 of them. Every time you turn around, they got tight ends catching the ball. And crab cakes, man. I love those crab cakes up in Baltimore. And Old Bay season, of course. All of that stuff. So Kevin Ostrager just broke it down for us. Baltimore is going to be right back in the thick of things this year in the AFC North. And I would not be surprised if they make it to the Super Bowl. I appreciate it, Kevin. Thanks a lot. It was really fun talking to Tony again and getting my thoughts out on the Ravens for the AFC North. And I do think that Baltimore is in a prime position and there are multiple scenarios in the playoffs. So they could play the Chiefs or they could play the Titans again. They could play even the Browns. Maybe the Browns make a big run this year. But there are so many different scenarios where the Ravens play different teams and ultimately I think the same result is they make it to the Super Bowl. But now quickly, I want to get into my final Ravens 2020 schedule prediction. Now, everybody who's been with me all offseason knows that... I had this team at 15 and 1. Now, for Baltimore, I said yesterday, you know, for the sake of realism, you know, the win total for me, maybe around 10, 11 wins. That's the, you know, realistic, the quote unquote realistic win total for Baltimore. People say 12 wins, and then you're saying 13, 14, 15. Ah, that's not that realistic. Well, 
I ultimately do think 15 wins is still realistic, and I'm going to be sticking to my guns. You know, I'm not one to shy away from it. So I'm going to still say 15 and 1 for the Ravens. That is my final prediction. But the game that I have the Ravens losing has shifted. I did originally have the Ravens losing this upcoming game, only in a few days, this week one game to the Cleveland Browns. I'm shifting that. I think the Ravens win this Sunday and lose in prime time the Cleveland Browns in week 14 and here's my thinking why so for the whole schedule preview for Baltimore it's all wins till week 14 then a loss to Cleveland in week 14 then all wins 15-1 first seed so you know that in itself I don't really need to go through a full schedule preview but I do want to explain my switch really quickly the Ravens are going to come out hungry in this game the way the season ended last year against the Titans that is absolutely not how anyone envisioned. I mean, maybe the Titans did, maybe some Titans people did, but not a lot of people saw that coming. The Ravens were blindsided. The Titans just played their own game. The Titans played the Ravens game too and just beat the brakes off of them. But now here we are. The Ravens, after so much just downtime, so much time to think about what went wrong, so much time to think about how things could have gone better, the Ravens are back. The Ravens are here. And they are ready to dominate again. I just think it's going to be pure momentum. You know, with this rookie class, I think the Ravens are going to be able to go at Jedrick Wills a little bit and be able to get a hold of him a little bit better than they are in Week 14 because he'll have that NFL experience. The Browns are also down a few secondary players. Greedy Williams. You have guys like Kevin Johnson. J.C. Treader might not play, although he, I think he's back at practice. The Ravens, I think, are going to win this game in Week 1. But I do think they're going to lose in Week 14. I think, you know, you have to take into account injuries. Injuries always do happen. But at the end of the day, I think Baltimore still goes 15-1, still dominates. And people are saying, oh, the Ravens are going to come back down to earth. The Ravens aren't going to win a division. There are even experts out there saying the Ravens aren't going to make the playoffs. Now, that last take is ridiculous. I can see how some people might think the Ravens might fall a little bit. I mean, to have a season like they did last year and repeat that again this year... I understand that looking at it that way, it's a little tough to see. But this Ravens team is talented. This Ravens team, despite losing Marshall Yonda and Hayden Hurst and Michael Pierce and Seth Roberts and Chris Wormley, they have improved on both sides of the football. Really, Marshall Yonda and Hayden Hurst are the two losses you really have to worry about. But Baltimore still did a good job at getting the pieces in place to replace them. So I think Baltimore will go 15-1. and I was kind of on the fence about maybe switching to a more realistic record. But honestly, I think 15-1 is realistic. Although it's pretty out there, I still think it is realistic. Baltimore is going to dominate in 2020, and I cannot wait to watch. That's all I have for you guys today. When we get back tomorrow, it's more Ravens talk from us, our first crossover Thursday. So stay tuned for that, and I will see you tomorrow.